What you are about to hear may include disturbing descriptions of sexual or physical abuse or may contain coarse language. Listener discretion is advised. The Junction neighborhood and its history were such important elements of the stories we told on Season 1 of Chasing Enlightenment. So for this bonus episode, we wanted to do a bit of a deeper dive into the neighborhood's colorful, fascinating history. To help us with this, I'll be joined by local historian Neil Ross. Neil used to offer historical walking tours of the Junction, so he's the perfect person to walk us through the neighborhood's story. It's going to be fierce up there. 10,000 men out on a tear. Last call before the Junction goes dry. There's mud in the streets. There's mud in your eye. What historical event is Neil describing there? Keep listening to find out. This is a bonus episode of Chasing Enlightenment Season 1. The Junction's 100-Year Hangover. Neil, thanks very much for joining me for this episode today. I'm happy to be here. Thanks, Dan. To begin, could you please introduce yourself and tell us a bit about your own interest in Junction history? Um, Sure. I'm a writer-performer with a background in in comedy, but a a great love of history. Uh, I moved to the Junction in 1992 and just gradually got interested in the history of where I lived. And um, I still live in the Junction and and, uh, write and and perform here, but uh, Junction history remains a a fascinating subject to me. So jumping into Junction history then, could you start by telling me a bit about what the Junction was like around the turn of the century before the area became dry? How would you describe the character of the neighborhood at that time? Um, at the time that the junction chose to to go with the local option to to ban the sale of alcohol within its its jurisdiction, it was a, a thriving industrial town. So it's it's the coming of the railway that, that gives the town its birth. It was very much a railway town. Uh, the the CPR repair yards were here, the Canadian Pacific Railway repair yards, and the Union stockyards were here. Um, and serving this fairly active uh, technological community were six taverns. And there were a number of industrial accidents connected to, to these sites. And we we started to see a, a movement within the community connecting with the Greater Women's Christian Temperance Union, which was the only organization in North America advocating for women's suffrage. And the the view at the time was that that, that alcohol and industry were ruining the family and 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 creating um, widows and orphans. Uh, and the the junction was just a, a place where this idea caught on, perhaps because of a, a brutal murder that occurs in 1898. Joseph Curley is uh, a young 
father, uh, a widower uh, who's coming home from drinking in uh, the subway uh, tavern in the junction, and he is uh, viciously waylaid uh, by persons or persons unknown. And this murder, particularly, I think, because um, it, it left uh, his children orphaned again, um, has a lot of resonance in, in the junction and this idea that that drink doesn't mix with with the kind of industrial situation that we have starts to to become very prevalent to the point where the reverend shaw a methodist minister preaches a famous sermon the harlotry iniquity and vice sermon where he he calls for uh, this modern sodom and gomorrah to rid itself of alcohol uh, and in uh, shortly after that, there's a brawl at the Hayden House between uh, CPR workers and union stockyard workers, reportedly over a prostitute. And these sort of the, these three moments, the death of Curley, the harlotry iniquity and vice sermon and the Hayden House brawl are, are in the minds of Junctionites when when they, they vote in uh, 1903 to ban the sale of alcohol within their, at that point, city boundaries. And so the murder that you mentioned, that was never solved? Uh, no, it was never solved. And why did it get connected to alcohol then? I think it was just there, there was already a sentiment politically festering that, that alcohol was was a dangerous thing in an environment like this. And um, if if it, if drink and 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 the bars would lead to the death of this young father, um, then it's something we need to seriously reconsider in, in our community. Um, I, I don't know other than that, why that particular event would have been as jarring to the community, but it's, it's often cited as, as it was one of the incidents that started the junction on the road to the local option. Now on the podcast, one thing we talked about in episode one was how the night before the junction became dry, a crowd of, I think it was 10,000 people kind of descended on the town and had their one last hurrah before the bars all closed. How did that come about? Were those people who were from the junction or were they people from outside the junction or what's the story there? Well, it, it gives a reflection on how wild the junction had to be to shut down its own bars because when it decided to do so, uh, a significant portion of the uh, rounders and um and ruffians in downtown toronto decided to come out and toast the the town one last time now what led to it in a big way was that there was an election in toronto at the time and the legislation was that you couldn't sell alcohol when you were um, running an election so the chance to come out and have one last drink in the junction, um, especially when there, there are no drinks at all to be had in downtown Toronto, led to what newspaper accounts from the time claim were, were 10,000 men descending on the junction. Now, I've, I've read the accounts and you sort of get the feeling that the, uh, the, the reporters themselves were, were uh, imbibing highly, but, but 10,000, I think the police may have corroborated a 10,000 figure, but uh, it was a, a heck of a night. Um, and I, I wrote a, a short poem about it. If, if you'll indulge me, I'll, I'll recite it for you. That would be great. Okay. 
It's going to be fierce up there. 10,000 men out on a tear. CPR boys loaded for bear. Last call before the junction goes dry. There's mud in the streets. There's mud in your eye. Great Canadian party, eh? All the way to Runny Mead. You hear up the rebellion, but God save the queen. So it was it was a wild night. Um, Chief Royce had a had only a, a very small contingent of of police to to keep the the peace. I think they only arrested a, a small handful, but it was it was the junction's great night of party. Now, Neil, you've coined the phrase the hundred year hangover to describe the period of the junction that came next. So could you tell me about some of the ways the junction changed after the neighborhood became dry? Well, the hangover doesn't set in as immediately as you might think, at least in in terms of, of what the next development in, in the junction is, and that's miraculously, it replaces its bars with theaters. Whereas there were six bars in, in uh, leading up to the local option, there, there's soon a full-fledged theater district in the junction with, with five uh, theaters. And, and this is where the focus of the uh, community and the economy shifts for, for, for a while. Most notably is is uh, a theater called the Beaver on Dundas near Pacific, which is you know, I've seen photographs of. It. It's absolutely gorgeous. So, so there is this vibrant theater district in the junction that that also uh, is staging um, or housing repertory companies, touring vaudeville shows, uh, local entertainment, and and so there there is a, a, an entertainment boom in the junction for several years, but. The hangover does set in, and we do see an increase in crime, particularly up to around through the 50s and the 60s. It's a, it's a very depressed area. It, it, it's not prohibition in, in the American sense because, you know, you can just get outside of the jurisdiction, you know, just on to, to Jane Street where the LCBO there had during the years that the junction was dry, the, the highest sales of alcohol in the province. Um, so you can see that the people in the junction were well supplied when, you know, to get out of your dry area, you've only in some cases got to go a couple hundred yards down the road, but, um, th- there is no doubt about it that, that the, the community suffers for it. And it's kind of uh, an unpleasant place to live for, um, for, for a, a number of years in the latter part of the 20th century. Um, and during this period, there are uh, a great rivalry between the wets and the dries because this this goes to plebiscite to referendum a, a couple of times uh, and the wet sides are are led as you might imagine by local restaurateurs and um, there's a, a gentleman by the name of Bill Temple Temperance Willie as he's known who is a, another in this line of principled temperance crusaders that the temperance movement often as i say is is aligned with votes for women but also with um standards in in industry um you know higher wages for um workers uh and and just the notion that that alcohol and machinery don't mix um and under the leadership of bill temple continues to to win this battle um, uh, long after his death in, I believe, 1985, 
uh, and it's not until I think 1994 that the west side of the junction eventually rescinds the local option and, and goes wet, whereas Gus on the other side of Kiel had to fight a further four years to 2000 um, before that side of the junction uh, could get a drink legally. And now you you kind of briefly touched on this a minute ago, but on the podcast, we referred to this 100-year hangover period as a period of prohibition, but I've learned that locals don't generally use that word. It, it it really is because the the word has an American connotation and and sort of brings up a, a you know an Al Capone type imagery that that people just tend to talk about the dry period or the local option period because it it's just not quite the same when as we've said you can just go down the street in some parts of the junction buy a bottle bring it back to the junction I mean it, it there's no doubt about it technically it was prohibition the sale of alcohol was prohibited in uh, in the junction um, jurisdiction but for for that reason perhaps because of its American connotations they don't use the term prohibition that much And besides, you know, going down the street outside of the junction and being able to buy alcohol there, were there any other ways that you know of of people, you know, finding ways to get around the ban on the sale of alcohol? Yeah, I mean, as they they would have anywhere, there were um, speakeasies, blind pigs, often just in people's homes. uh, And um, and I think there are probably a number of backyard stills as well. People, you know, junction people have always been resourceful. Now, how would you describe how the junction has changed um, from the 90s to today? Do you think that bringing alcohol into the junction influenced the evolution of the neighborhood over the last 20 years or so? Oh, yeah, I think so. That that there was a, a nightlife that, that could start to grow here, um, that, that one didn't feel restricted if one went to a restaurant, um, and that the time that... Um, this change happened, the junction housing boom kind of was kickstarted because people now felt it was a, you know, not only a place to live and bring up their kids, but where they could pleasantly hang out, you know, in the evenings. And one thing that some locals have told me a bit about is, you know, you mentioned the stockyards as one of the industries that used to be in the area. I've heard descriptions of the stockyards as, you know, producing this foul stench that wafted throughout the whole neighborhood. Do you know if that's true? Oh, yes. I I can give you first-person account of that. I I moved to the junction in 1992, and and, yeah, for for many years, there was this um, sort of ugly singed meat smell that would just sort of hang in the atmosphere for hours on end. So that must have also helped contribute to the changes in the neighborhood, not to have that kind of hanging over people's heads anymore. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you could drink and you could breathe. It was it was a, a, a better place to be. Now, do you have any more personal favorite stories about the history of the junction? There, there is a, I have a favorite junction story that, that only fits tangentially, and that's that the, the junction ironically begins as a collection of taverns and and one of the earliest taverns was 
the Peacock Tavern. And it's here that in 1837, William Lyon Mackenzie and 40 men ride into town and, and rob the Royal Mail as he's en route to escaping after the, the failed insurrection that he led down Young Street. Yeah. And so, so for, for our international listeners, could you just explain who William Lyon Mackenzie is? In 1837, William Lyne Mackenzie is a former mayor of Toronto. He's a he's a famous newspaper man, uh, and uh, and very much a, a progressive thinking guy, to the point where he believes the family compact, who are the aristocracy in uh, in Ontario and and in Toronto, um, are essentially running a um a plutocracy that that they're you know that the rich own everything and control everything and mackenzie and many farmers and workers joined together to to start the upper canada rebellion which is which has a a, a brother movement if you will in in quebec with the, the lower canada rebellion and these rebellions are unsuccessful but they lead ultimately to responsible government to form of democracy that that Canada evolves but Mackenzie himself is a is an incredibly um colorful character and uh says Canadians do you love freedom I know you do do you hate oppression who dare deny it do you wish perpetual peace and a government bound to enforce the law to do to each other as ye would be done by up then, brave Canadians! Now is the day and the hour. But of course, it wasn't. I mean, this was this was a, a failed rebellion, um, and Canadians have always found that the you know peaceful um, solutions are better. But it does kind of scare the British into into believing that maybe they might lose a colony or two, and and we start to see. Canadians taking um, control of their own democracy uh, shortly after the rebellion. And so what's the story of this robbery? How did that come about? Uh, Mackenzie le- leads the, the march down Young Street. It, it ends in, in a very much kind of ragged stalemate. And th- he knows he's a wanted man. The um, government is bringing the troops back from Quebec. Uh, and, and the rebellion is, is, has lost any chance it has. He, he needs money to get out of the, the country. Uh, and, and he wants to know what the government is planning. So he robs the Royal Mail, the stagecoach, uh, manages to get a hold of government dispatches, gets some money, uh, takes some valuables from the people riding on the coach. There's, it's, it's said that they, they actually steal a suitcase of, of a, a female passenger, and this leads to the legend that Mackenzie escapes from the colony uh, dressed as a woman. So this is sort of the beginning of junction political activism and uh, burlesque kind of in the same same moment. Is there anything else that comes to mind that you think our listeners should know about the junction? Well, maybe the the junction the word junction means a coming together and it's it was the coming together of the railway lines that traditionally have given the town its name, but it also was a coming together of First Nations trails. 
And this is where uh, Dundas Street meets Annette and uh, the Old Western Road. And I think DuPont comes in there, too. And so the people that would have been using these trails would be the Mississauga of New Credit First Nation, the Anishinaabe, the Haudenosaunee, the, the Wendat, the original nations that would have been hunting and, and traveling through this area. Now, if any of our listeners are interested in learning more about the history of the junction, do you have any recommendations for where they could go to do that? Yeah, sure. I mean, the West Toronto Junction Historical Society has collected all of these incredible stories. Um, if this were not in lockdown, I would urge you to visit them in the basement of the Inez Street Library. But of course, listeners around the world can um, log on to WTJ hs.ca um, and um, there are great junction stories there and, and I'd also recommend uh, two junction books, The Leader and Recorder History of the Junction and West Toronto Revisited both uh, tell some, some great junction stories uh, and uh, the junction West Toronto Junction Historical Society has uh, an active Facebook page as well where um, people uh, discuss the minutiae of junction history Well, Neil, that seems like a good place for us to wrap up our discussion here. So thanks very much again for joining me to talk about the very fascinating history of the junction. My pleasure, Dan. Chasing Enlightenment was written and narrated by Daniel Monroe. Audio production and editing by Carolyn Smiley. Additional research and voiceovers by Robert Monroe. Artwork and web design by Megan Hilario. Please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen. You can find more information about the show and ways to support us at ChasingEnlightenment.net. Contact us at ChasingEnlightenment at gmail.com. For mental health support in Canada, visit wellnesstogether.ca or text 686868 for immediate help. Those seeking to leave abusive relationships can visit endingviolencecanada.org.